On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, it's week nine of the NFL season and the NFL trade deadline has come and gone. We'll review what did and didn't happen with my friend and my colleague, ESPN senior NFL insider, Chris Mortensen. And we'll be joined by the man that helped Bill Belichick get his first ever win as an NFL head coach, the former Cleveland Browns quarterback, Bernie Kosar, as he reminisces about what it was like to play for the former Browns head coach, Bill Belichick, who won his 300th NFL game as a head coach this past weekend. And finally, we'll be joined by ESPN colleague, analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, as he breaks down week nine with some intriguing numbers and trends as the week gets set to unfold. But first, a recap of what unfolded on the trade deadline day with my pal, Chris Mortensen. All right, it's NFL trade deadline day, Mort. We just finished up with three and a half hours live on ESPN. Was that live? That was live. Okay. What do you think I said that? a lot of things I might get in trouble for. Well, listen, it's always got an adrenaline to it because you're going in with, and you know there are discussions being made among teams. You don't know what's going to happen. It can happen in the last five minutes of the show. Uh, and yet, at the same time, we know this league has already been very active on the trade market, right? How many trades have there been going into today? I believe, again, if you just look at the last two weeks, just two weeks alone, Mort, it had been 11 trades. And that doesn't include the trades when you go back to the summer where we had Laramie Tunsil traded from Miami to Houston, where we had Jadevian Clowney traded from Houston to Seattle. Yep. Those are two big trades. Minka Fitzpatrick traded from Miami to Pittsburgh. And then in the last two weeks alone, we had Leonard Williams traded to the Giants. Kenyon Drake traded to the Cardinals. Jannard Avery traded to the Eagles. Jalen Ramsey traded to the Rams. Marcus Peters traded to the Ravens. Austin Corbett to the Rams. Mohamed Sanu to the Patriots. Emmanuel Sanders to the 49ers. Gary and Conley to the Texans. And Quandre Diggs to the Seahawks. That's a lot of big names. Yeah, now, so if all those trades had happened on Trade deadline day, this would have been the biggest news, busiest trade deadline ever. It would have been the equivalent of the first day of free agency. Exactly. That's what it would have been. But the reason why, as you know, uh, that we have more trades going on earlier is because the salary cap has expanded and the teams that can maneuver it. And I, I really thought that what the Texans did with, with trading and for Laramie Tunsil, give them two ones and what have you, that, that told me, listen, some of these teams are ready to go to see if they can play in February. And the Texans, when you have Deshaun Watson, you know, yeah, you you get Laramie Tunsil. Maybe you overpaid, but you know what? I think the guy's a ten-year Pro Bowl player. So I, I, that's that's one trade that I, I didn't have a problem with. There were two interesting stories to me on the deadline day that stood out above all the others. Actually, three. Mm. The first one is the Cincinnati Bengals and their complete lack oh. of inactivity. It's amazing to me that they could be winless, hapless right now, and not go ahead and trade AJ Green, Carlos Dunlap. Geno Atkins. And I know these are some really good players and you want to hold on to your talent. But how about hitting the reset button? And by the way, they did that by benching Andy Dalton and making the move to Ryan Finley. Once they did that, I thought, okay, well, here we go. We're going to get some Cincinnati action. And lo and behold, not a single trade. Well, the only thing about it is that's who they are, the Bengals. I mean, Mike Brown has the final say on everything. There might have been a, uh, some discussions uh, with players like a Dunlap, Carlos Dunlap, the defensive end. But, you know, to me, when they announced the benching of Andy Dalton, that kind of told me 
that A.J. Green wasn't going anywhere, which is going to lead us to the next point in the conversation, which is we got to find out about Ryan Finley because right now we might be picking right up there with the Dolphins and whoever, Jets, whoever else in, in those top two or three spots, and we got to find out whether we need a quarterback. Can Finley be the guy? And we got to do it with A.J. Green in the lineup. Is he going to be in the lineup? Well, his contract's up after the year, and I don't know that he's going to play again. Listen, if you're A.J. Green, why are you rushing back and risking your health? And I know you say football players play, and A.J. Green loves football, and he does want to play. But he's also a businessman, and there's a lot of money out there. And you just wonder how he's going to handle that going forward, and that's going to be interesting. And A.J. only played nine games last year, and he hasn't played yet this year, so those are all valid points. Didn't Larry Fitzgerald and A.J. Green have a kind of a heart-to-heart discussion when they— what? It doesn't mean anything? Because no. Larry Fitzgerald himself says it, it meant something to him. And it's not like the Arizona yeah. Cardinals were great every year to finish with the team that you were, yeah. that you were drafted Fitzgerald by. Larry Fitzgerald also got paid huge contracts during the course the of his first career. couple of years. Yeah. Now, listen, when A.J. Green's done at the end of this year, he will have been paid $90 million so yep. far. But you know what? I think with, Larry With Fitz's another contract, contract to come. I think Larry Fitz's contract at the time set some sort of record. Oh, yeah. Two contracts back. And I don't know that there were too many non-quarterbacks in NFL history who have ever made the money that Larry Fitzgerald has made and that A.J. Green would stand the chance of making on the open market. But again, it's going to be limited in the sense that what team is going to pay him at that level when he's coming off a few injury-plagued seasons like right, he's had. Right, and Fitz was the third player taken in that draft, and it was before the rookie wage scale came into really came into play, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, the Bengals should have been more proactive. Uh, you know, click some draft picks so you can build you know, this team going forward. But uh, we we all know what their approach is on everything. Now, the other team that considered collecting more draft picks was the New York Jets. There was speculation about Le'Veon Bell being traded. There was speculation about Jamal Adams being traded. As it turns out, the Jets didn't trade either. I know that you think that some of this conversation around the Jets might be a little bit more overblown than it actually was. Well, yeah, and, and remember Robbie Anderson, the wide receiver, he definitely was available, but when the only, when the highest pick you're offered is a fourth round pick, you're thinking, well, we can get him in a comp- compensatory pick because they'll lose him at the end they of the year. They wanted a two for Robbie Anderson, by the way. Yeah, I know. So they weren't going to get that. You can ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. No, I, I will say this. There's no question that they had aggressive suitors in at least two teams. Uh, I know we know. I know one was the Cowboys, and you can. Uh, and the other was the, the Baltimore other. Ravens. Yeah. So and, for so, Jamal Adams. So you know, listen, they weren't actively shopping him, but when those teams are calling, they're offering you significant value. You know, I think it's you should listen. We've had some people disagree with us. I, I know that. To me, I, you know, Jamal Adams is a great football player. He really is. Now I've heard some people say he's a box safety. He doesn't fit for half the defenses in this league. But uh, you know, I know this much. That, the Cowboys and Ravens are two teams trying to get to the playoffs, and they thought that he could fit in their scheme no matter what. And the Ravens actually made a lot of sense considering their their situation in the secondary. Now, the one trade we did see on deadline, there was a key to leave, and mm-hmm. that's interesting because, again, it gives the Dolphins more ammunition. You were talking about the Bengals, and we bring up the Dolphins, trading Minka Fitzpatrick, getting an extra one, trading for a keep to leave, mm-hmm. getting an extra five in that deal. And interestingly enough, the Bengals – and the Dolphins play later this season. You are a quarterback guru, a quarterback aficionado. If you had to say right now, as we sit here in late October, around the trade deadline, who's likely to be the first quarterback picked in the April draft in Las Vegas, who are you putting your money on? Oh, I'm putting it on Tua Tunga Valoa, the the Alabama quarterback. I know he's had this second, another procedure on the other ankle, 
But I, I think he's even better than what people are see, see on TV. I mean, you, when you see him in person, uh, practices, it's just, he has a knack for getting the ball out on time. He is, uh, smart. He, he's a guy who, you know, locker room loves him. And I know Justin Herbert has a size and, you know, Joe Burrows, there's a lot of talk about him at LSU, but I think, I think it's Tua. But I do think the interesting development is, and it's interesting that the Cardinals and 49ers were playing this week, uh, is just the fact that this Chase Young, the defensive end from yeah. Ohio State, uh, may be better than Nick Bosa, who, well, who is dominating for the 49ers. As you know, the Cardinals took Kyler Murray number one, and I'm not knocking it. And uh, and both end up with the 49ers, and he looks like he's going to be an impact player for a long, long time. You know what? I remember talking to one person that uh, mm-hmm. knows both players, and I said, boy, Chase Young, this Chase Young kid, is he the best guy that's come out of Ohio State? And this person who's watched that school closely said, no, not close. And I said, not close. And they said, Nick Bosa. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and what's interesting about Nick Bosa to bring us to that point, I think, is this Thursday night, the Cardinals and the 49ers yeah. play. Yep. And the Cardinals had the number one pick. And were the 49ers rooting for the Cardinals to take Kyler Murray? Oh, my God. <laughs> l- 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 let me tell you this. I can remember talking last season at this time. It was about a year ago. And if we look back to see what the 49ers record was after eight games, it was not good. Whatever it was. Right. Yeah. And I remember some people saying. Well, they, they did pick second. So Yeah, I remember people in the organization saying to me, well, the only saving grace is that somehow we'll have a high pick. And I just wish somehow we got the number one overall pick so we could take Nick Bosa. Yeah. And they lamented the fact they weren't going to go number one. All of a sudden, Arizona gets the number one pick. They hire Cliff Kingsbury. Kyler Murray turns into the number one pick. And now it sets up a rivalry where Kyler Murray is going to be in Arizona for a long time. And the Niners got the guy they wanted, Nick Bosa. And Nick Bosa gets to chase Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray gets to try to beat Nick Bosa. And it's the one-two picks. It's kind of interesting. But but also, the 49ers... Fortified in so many different areas of that defense. I mean, their their defensive interior line is very good, and the other side is very good. So, and then Kyle, you know, Kyle Shanahan with that offense, they run the ball. Everything they do is complimentary. I, 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 they're really interesting to me because if they get Jimmy Garoppolo playing at a decent level, and maybe he's playing at a decent level, but at a higher level, higher level, yeah. I, you know, I would match him up against anybody in this league, including the Patriots. I said this though: we get to the postseason, and the NFC is loaded. Yeah. Would you rather have Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, or Jimmy Garoppolo? Who do you trust most in a playoff game? Well, you take me for an idiot, obviously. <laughs> All right? No, I love you. you know, no, but I'll admit that, but I do know this much, and I've said this before. One of the great NFL-affirming things that have happened is that it's the ultimate team sport. Yeah. So, like, you know, Dak Prescott, he's great, he's great, and all of a sudden they're missing their tackles. And Amari Cooper, oh man, this is overrated. Kellen Moore is not such a hot offensive coordinator. Then those guys come back and they, they're, they're really good again. And I, I just think it's such a great team sport that, uh, that things can happen even with the inferior quarterback going forward and, and, and possibly winning. Did you think that Nick Foles was going to win a Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. A lot of people wonder that, right? Yeah. So we mentioned two of the stories that stood out today, the Bengals inactivity, the Jets activity mm-hmm. that led to inactivity. And the last one that stood out to me was Trent Williams reporting back to Washington. What did you make of the fact that the Redskins basically engaged in a stare down with him, held on to him, didn't trade him to Cleveland, didn't trade him anywhere else, and then he wound up reporting? This felt like a team, a franchise is saying, we're not going to let players dictate to us like we've seen happen in some other places like Jalen Ramsey and Jacksonville and some of the other ones. Uh, In other words, we're not going to let them dictate 
anything to us, which may be to their detriment because they probably could have gotten a second round pick for Trent Williams. And, uh, but you know, they may also be looking at it. And Bill Callahan is the interim head coach, but they got a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. They got to find out about and maybe having Trent Williams at left tackle is more important to see what they have in, in Dwayne Haskins in the second half of the season. That's if he winds up playing for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. You if seem to be suggesting something here, well, partner. Well, I mean, we don't know that he's going to go wind up playing for them. Like, we've seen right. players end holdouts. He might have a back injury, too. Uh, you know. Back could lock on, lock up <laughs> on him at any point. Could be <laughs> headaches, could be migraines, yeah. could be anything, right? No, that's right. And, and uh, you know, to me, they, to me, they probably should have moved him. You know, there's no question. Just as we feel the Bengals should have moved some players. Yeah, and they didn't. How are you feeling, right? I'm feeling really good. Yeah? Yeah, especially now because I'm almost done. And guess what? You're, you're not. <laughs> you know what, Mort? We never are. No. That's a, that's a great thing about our job. It's it's a beautiful thing. I appreciate taking some time to review the trade deadline day. Fun day. Great to be with you. Tiring. We'll see you again this weekend for week nine. I look forward to it. And my favorite moment today, by the way, during our broadcast was me looking over to your phone and saying, I have a good source here. That says, and I was <laughs> peeking over your text messages. <laughs> but yes, it was fun. Thanks, Mort. All right. Joining us now, the former quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, an old friend of mine, Bernie Kozar. Bernie, thank you very much for taking the time. Adam, great to be with you today. Thank you very much. You know, and listen, I wanted to reach out. Because Bill Belichick, this past weekend against your Cleveland Browns, wins his 300th game as an NFL head coach. And by the way, he beats the Browns as the Patriots coach in his 300th game. And his very first game that he wins, he's the Browns coach and he beats the Patriots. But back on September 8th, 1991, he won his first game. The Browns beat the Patriots 20 to nothing in Foxborough. And you were the starting quarterback that day for Coach Belichick. You threw for 187 yards, two touchdowns. What do you remember about that day? Well, Adam, too, it's an honor to to have been the quarterback, to, to have won his first game, and then to have been there this past Sunday, Sunday afternoon, for him to win his 300th game, sadly or ironically, against the Cleveland Browns. But to have been the quarterback that day, just like you correctly pointed out, to be in Foxborough and me and Bill Belichick to go and beat a Dick McPherson coached New England Patriots team back in 1991. And I think I throw the first touchdown pass to Leroy Horde. Wow. Another one to Thriller Michael Jackson. <laughs> but that, that staff back in, in 1991 with um, Ozzie Newsom was in the personnel department. Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator. Kirk Ferentz was the offensive line coach. Al Groh um, was a defensive coordinator. Pat Hill went on to be a head coach in the league. There was uh, Eric Mangini and Jim Schwartz came on. I mean, that staff that he incorporated back then went on to really capsulate the NFL and college football still to this day. It's an impressive thing that I'm incredibly proud to be a part of. So you were part of that first win. Did you get a chance to congratulate Bill after the 300th win on Sunday, being that you were at the game as a member of the Browns there, Bernie? I got a chance to see him um, after the game, and we got to joke around um, about that. It's um, again, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but again, to to be there and again to see how things have gone full circle to be that quarterback in that first game um, at New England, it's just a heck of an honor. If you don't want me asking, what did you say to him? What was your message to him after the game on Sunday when he won three hundred? Well, a lot of people are laughing and joking that I actually got him to laugh. 
Um, being there after the game, being with a trade deadline, being so close and being in the middle of the season, you know the in, the intense focus that Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots have on the upcoming game. So, you know, he's not spending much time enjoying his 300th game. But, you know, some of the things we talk about, yeah. um, you know, we were joking about the fullback and, and um, the, the way the fullback and the game is coming back um, and the offense in, in the day in today's game. Heck, me and him back in the early 90s, we had the clock play back before it was even run with me and Dan Marino in the early and the mid 90s. And to see how each team in every game plan now um, incorporates the clock play from an offensive perspective and a defensive perspective. And we were at the cutting edge of plays like that, like with eye contact and, and some cutting edge plays that are. Um, still today used as a foundational part of the game, it's it's proud to be a part of. So you and Bill Belichick had the clock play before Dan Marino unveiled it against the Jets? Oh, absolutely. In the mid-'80s, Gary Danielson and myself had started coming up with that play with um, Lindy Infante and Marty Schottenheimer. And we had, we had run the play in the mid-'80s and had been practicing it. And then when Bill Belichick came in the early mid-'90s, um, that whole staff and stuff, we had, uh, he had trusted uh, what me and Gary Daniels had incorporated from past offenses and allowed us to keep that, keep that within our system. And the perfect situation when me and Bill were together really never materialized, but I kept that as part of my game as I, after I left Bill, and obviously Bill and a lot of that staff, kept that concept moving forward themselves we'll be back with more from the former browns quarterback bernie kozar but first a word from butcher box one of the best aspects of butcher box is how convenient it is a box of 100 grass-fed beef free-range organic chicken heritage breed pork and more shipped free right to your door it doesn't get any easier than that but thanksgiving is right around the corner and if you're hosting things can get stressful butcher box can help this holiday season, new customers can get a free turkey in their first box. That's right. ButcherBox is making the experience of cooking a Thanksgiving meal better. Get your turkey delivered to your door instead of dealing with long lines and crowded aisles at the grocery store. And like their beef, chicken, salmon, pork, and scallops, you know the turkey you'll be serving from ButcherBox was humanely raised the way it's meant to be with no added hormones or antibiotics ever. I love the meat I get from ButcherBox. The last box I got came with chicken, steak, pork. My family loved it. Take some stress out of your schedule this holiday season. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash Schefter today and get a free Thanksgiving turkey plus $20 off your first box. That's ButcherBox.com slash Schefter for a free Thanksgiving turkey plus $20 off your first box. ButcherBox.com slash Schefter. Bernie, what would have been your reaction if back in the day, back in 1991, after you beat the New England Patriots, September 8th, 1991, if I had told you that that's going to be the first of 300-plus wins for Bill Belichick? What would have been your reaction to that statement? Me and Bill back then, that to think any of us were going to be around for 300 wins, we'd be dreaming or lying to say that we knew that was going to happen. But... Bill Belichick, even back then, despite even some of the issues that me and him had earlier in both of our careers, back then, he had the foundational DNA to be this top-tier 
Hall of Fame coach. There's no question about it. What did you see in that foundational DNA that tells you that? That obsessive focus of just football. That that job of just do your job, that ability to just focus on what the task at hand is, and nothing gets in his way about getting ready to win that next game. Um, it's easier said than done, and he, uh, as much as anybody, has that intense focus. Um, and I've been around some of the great, great coaches of of the Don Shulas and Jimmy Johnsons, Howard Snellenbergers, um, you know Marty Schottenheimers. This is this. I'm truly honored to to have been with Bill Belichick. That is a great list of coaches that you played for, right there. Are you saying? I, I, it's hard to differentiate, but I'm going to put you on the spot. He he impressed you the most that he was. You could tell back then the most impressive coach you had played for. I don't like to say the most impressive because that's amazing, amazing names, and I've been such had had such great bonds and great personal relationships with each one of those coaches that I've had the honor to be with. And each one of those names, yeah. Adam, that I've mentioned, you know, they trusted me to run their offense, to run their team, to call plays for them. And that honor, um, I don't take, I don't take lightly. And, and all of them are just great, amazing men. And they're phenomenal coaches, yeah. leaders of men. Have you ever stopped to think about what would have happened in Cleveland if the Browns had retained Bill Belichick and not fired him? There was there, there was so much that went on back in the early to mid-90s with all of that. To, to really relive all of that yeah. now, um, firing him, yeah, and actually the, with the team leaving and going from, from Cleveland to Baltimore, yeah. and with so many of the, the viewers and listeners now, being younger people to even remember um, 25 years ago when the Cleveland Browns went to become the Baltimore Ravens and there wasn't a team back then, that two- or three-year delta where um, um, actually Baltimore released the bill. Um, that's, probably not, that's probably not a part of either, either team's legacy that they like to remember. Yeah. And what are you doing for the Browns today? You know, right now I've been I've been working Adam on from my health and wellness. I've had I've had over thirty some surgeries, seventy some broken bones, and to be able to to be able to stand it and seeing you like I've been seeing you at the Monday night games and yeah. uh, feeling good's been great. And then working some with the team, um, doing some of the media stuff, and working around some of the, some of the players. So thirty plus surgeries and seventy plus broken bones. Did I hear that correct? Yes, and I'm still still standing, still standing and feeling good. Of all of all that medical attention, what bothers you the most today? The, the knee, shoulder, hip, something. What what stands out to you there, Bernie? Well, I'm an equal opportunity employer. Throughout the course of my body, there's been surgeries on on each aspect of it. Wow. But in in terms of blaming or complaining about it, um, I, I've been again. I'll be talking more about this over the next uh, next few months. Is I've been working from a holistic side of it for my health and wellness to to really not feel be feeling pain without having having to do all those traditional ways that have really been tough and hurting people in society. Good for you, Bernie. And you know what? Alleging you are in Cleveland, my producer Travis, he's from Lima, Ohio, and his parents were going to name him Bernie, and then. You and the Browns wound up losing that week before his mother gave birth to him, and so they named Travis over Bernie. 
Well, tell Travis's parents that um, I corrected Adam for saying it's not Lima. It's Lima, Ohio. <laughs> Lima. Excuse me. Lima. Okay. Well, that's my bad. Okay. So everybody's messed up. I got the name wrong, and his parents went with Travis over Bernie, which they never should have done, Bernie. That's oh, all right. We still love you. <laughs> <laughs> love you too, my friend. I appreciate taking the time today. Good luck from the recovery from all that. And thank you for the insight on Bill Belichick's 300th win, the first of which you were a major part of. Sounds great. Great to be with you, Adam. God thank bless. you, Bernie. We all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show of your choice and earn credits towards your next live event. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. All you need to do is use the Vivid Seats app to purchase tickets and start earning today. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more vivid seats has it all download the app and join the vivid seats rewards loyalty program today make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the vivid seats app help you get to your favorite live event enter promo code espn 25 for 10 percent off your next order that's promo code espn 25 for 10 percent off cap hit all right, we now bring in my friend, my colleague, Evan Kaplan. Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast. And Evan, we are eight weeks through the season, going into week nine. So we could say, technically, yep. that we are at the midway point of the season. We are. What is the one thing that has stood out to you most about the first half of the season? In this age of offense and quarterbacks, what has stood out to me is the Patriots and 49ers defense. You know what's funny? Before you even answer yep. the question, I'm wondering, what is Evan going to answer? What would I answer? <laughs> right. And I was going to say the Patriots defense, and you went Patriots right. 49ers. Add them both that the Patriots, at a historic level, allowing just over seven points per game, 7.6 to be exact, the 49ers are allowing 11 points per game. So they're second in the league. You think about these two teams, I, I don't care who they've played. People continue to talk about the opponents. This is still the NFL, 32 teams, I don't care who they've played, to give up Fewer than two touchdowns per game over about half the season. 49ers played seven games, Patriots eight. That's impressive. That's impressive. Fewer than two touchdowns per game over that stretch of a season. And the Patriots defense scores every game. They do. They've scored the same amount of defensive touchdowns as they have allowed by the defense of season four. The Patriots defense has scored four touchdowns. The Patriots defense has allowed four touchdowns. So That's that, unbelievable. That, that excludes... Special teams and defensive touchdowns scored by the other team. But you look at when the Patriots' defense is on the field, same amount of touchdowns scored as they've allowed. How about San Francisco's defense? How do we put the greatness of the 49ers' defense in perspective? Is there anything that stands out to you there? Well, look, it's Nick Bosa to me. I mean, three sacks and an interception in Week 8 against the Panthers. And you look at them, and everybody talks about how great the Patriots are. The 49ers are allowing fewer yards per play. They're allowing fewer yards per game. They've uh, allowed a lower total QBR. So you look at these defenses and two teams who are still unbeaten, and what gets interesting is their schedules going forward. Why? Because they it gets a little tougher. Um, and you look for at both of them. For both of them. For both of them. So 
Um, let's look at the, the 49ers who have a game against the Cardinals. They play on Monday Night Football against the Seahawks. And what I like about the NFC going forward is you've got all these teams playing each other, right? The Packers will play the Seahawks, or excuse me, the 49ers will play the Seahawks twice. They will also play the Packers. They will also play the Saints. So you've got all these teams at the top of the NFC who will end up playing each other to jockey for seeding. And that'll decide who has exactly. home field advantages exactly. in the NFC. Now, one of the AFC playoff contenders is the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. And they suffered a big loss on Sunday. J.J. Watt, former Defensive Player of the Year, suffered a torn peck. He's out for the year. It is the third time in four years that he will finish the season on IR. Yep. How big a loss is J.J. Watt? It's huge. And and with a player like him who gets so much attention from the offensive line, you can't just look at sacks. Mm-hmm. He has four sacks this season, which in eight games isn't overly impressive. But you need to look at how much he is pressuring the quarterback. He has 63 times this year he has gotten the first pressure on the quarterback from the Texans defense. Nobody else in the NFL has even 50 of those. Hmm. He has 63. Next closest is 49. So wow. you look at the pressure that he's applying. It's so much for the Texans defense to have to make up now in what has become all of a sudden a pretty competitive AFC South. You've got every team in that division is 500 or better. No team with a losing record. Texans are a half game behind the Colts for first place. Colts beat them a few weeks ago. So look, that's a big loss. I don't I don't know if it's enough for Deshaun Watson to overcome to win that division. You know who's going to have to make up for the loss of J.J. Watt? You hit on it. Deshaun Watson and the yep, offense. Absolutely. I don't think it's the defense. I don't think you replace him there. No. I think there's more output that has to come from the offense, right. which bodes well. If right. you have Deshaun Watson in fancy football or DeAndre Hopkins in yep. fancy football, then it becomes interesting there. But I think the offense has to replace J.J. Watt as agree. much as the defense. I would agree with that. All right, we brought up the Patriots and their defense. And on Sunday night, we get a great game. The Patriots travel to Baltimore to play the resurgent Ravens and Lamar Jackson. This will be a test for both sides, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. We've got this great Patriot defense that you've outlined, and we've got a quarterback who's, I would say, bidding to become the most valuable player in the NFL this year if mm-hmm. he can string together some more performances, the likes of which he had in the first half of the season. Yep. How do you break down this matchup? So look, let's start with let's start with Lamar Jackson, like you said. I don't think a lot of people would realize this, but since he made his first start in Week 11 last season, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson are the only starting quarterbacks with more wins than Lamar Jackson. Lamar has 11, Brady and Wilson have 12. So you look at him, this is now an extended run of success as he got the Ravens to the playoffs last year and is now has them off to a 5-2 and two start this year. And you look historically at the Patriots facing running quarterbacks, and they have been susceptible to quarterbacks that scramble. Not mm. on design runs, but with Lamar Jackson, we know his scrambling ability when the play breaks down. And you look at the Patriots over the last 10 years, they have allowed the second most yards per rush in the NFL on scrambles specifically. So that is a key, key matchup. That's that interesting. I wonder why that is. It for is. a defense that's so well coached. Yep. I think that as we go through the week, we'll dig into what the reasoning is around it. Um, but second most yards per rush. Lamar Jackson is averaging nearly nine yards per rush when he scrambles in his career. So certainly an interesting matchup there. And then you look historically that uh, I think a lot of places this week you'll see the flashback, Adam, of the last time an undefeated Patriots team played the Ravens was in 2007. They improved to 12-0 with the win. It was a crazy late game. They won 27-24. There was a timeout by one of our colleagues, Rex Ryan, that he may or may not have 
called late on the sideline. So that's a good one this week that you'll see everywhere. Last time the Patriots were undefeated, went down to Baltimore. I'm going to make a prediction right now. I have a feeling we'll see something about that on Sunday countdown. I would, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. That video will be trotted out, yep. and they're going to ask Rex, what were you thinking yep. when you called timeout the last time Baltimore played New England and the Patriots were undefeated this late in the season? I, I would think, certainly agree I with that. I think we'll see a replay of that. All right, well, meanwhile, in the NFC, Evan, it's not as one-sided and lopsided as the AFC, yep. whereas the Patriots seem to be the class of the conference in the AFC, the NFC has quantity mm-hmm. and has quality. It really does. We've got, and tell me what I'm forgetting, clear-cut, clear-cut Super Bowl contenders in mm-hmm. San Francisco, yep. New Orleans, Green Bay, yep. three teams. Mm-hmm. And then there's a group of other teams, yep. any one of which I would not be surprised if they made a run and strung together victories to make a Super Bowl run, and that would be Dallas, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Seattle, the Rams. There's five more. Mm -hmm. So we just ripped off eight Eight teams, teams. and I'm probably forgetting somebody and not listing them and giving them their proper respect. Right. It's really amazing. So you look at the NFL right now as we head into Week 9, and five of the six best teams— in the or in the NFC, that's excluding obviously the Patriots. So, and and the thing that I find interesting when you look at some of those teams at the top is you've got the 49ers who are undefeated, and the defense looks amazing, and the running game's great, and Jimmy G had probably his best game of the season in Week Eight. But you look at those other teams, and they've all a lot of them have Super Bowl winners. If you look at the two other seven and one teams, they've got Drew Brees with the Saints, and they've got Rodgers with the Packers, and the six and two Seahawks have Russell Wilson. How interesting is that going to be as we already kind of think about the playoffs with with some of those Super Bowl winners potentially going into Levi Stadium facing, let's say, a 13-3 and San Francisco 49er team. You always talk about kind of the passing of the torch in the NFL. And that, that, that part of it I find interesting, the fact that you've got the Super Bowl winners potentially going up against this kind of team out of nowhere in the 49ers that looks like they're going to have just an incredible season. And let me put it to you in a different way. Who in a one-game playoff mm-hmm. do you trust more? Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, yep. or Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think you're finding many people who are taking Garoppolo out of those things. Which is Any what point. makes it very interesting exactly. if San Francisco's got the home field yep. and it's got the defense that's mm-hmm. putting up better numbers than New England right. and it's running the ball right. as effectively as anybody in the league Absolutely, and it's got so many strong elements to it right. that the 49ers are a viable contender, right. but it comes back to that quarterback right. question as it always does. Right? And I think, I think you hit on the one thing that people shouldn't forget about the NFC picture and those are the two teams in the NFC East. Probably only one of them are going to make the playoffs, either the Cowboys or the Eagles. But think about the talent of those teams, right? Don't forget about those teams just because they're not six and two or seven and one like the rest of the conference. So let's not forget about the Eagles here because on Sunday, the Eagles are coming off what I think may have been their most impressive win of the season Mm -hmm. in Buffalo against the Buffalo Bills. Team distinguished itself very well and now comes home to play a struggling Chicago team that finds itself mired in controversy over the way that the Bears handled the end of that loss to the Chargers. This also happens to be a rematch of the wild card game from last year. What do you make of this matchup between these two teams that met in the wild card round last year, last season, Mm -hmm. and now will meet in a big regular season game this Sunday? Hey, you talk about flashbacks you're going to see all week. You're going to see that double doink from Cody Parkey all week. Um, And you think about these 
quarterbacks, the starting quarterbacks. Carson Wentz didn't play in that game. That was Nick Foles. And you think about Carson Wentz and Mitchell Trubisky mm. picked second overall in the draft in consecutive years. And could you possibly think of two different quarterbacks on different spectrums right now? Carson Wentz is clearly the guy in Philadelphia. He's got paid with the the long-term deal. And now Mitchell Trubisky, there's all sorts of questions about him. The obvious comparisons that will always be made to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And you think about a Bears team that went 12-4 and last year in Matt Nagy's first year. They've already lost four games this year. Wow. So you put that in perspective, and it's... Oof, it's a tough spot for a three and four Bears team that needs a win going into Philadelphia, who hasn't been home in, in nearly a month. You think Philadelphia straightened out its season with that win in Buffalo? I do. I think they got back to the running game. They got back to playing defense. The, the team just feels like they have too much talent. They feel like they have too much talent that, that, that their season was just going to go down the drain. You know what's interesting? Sometimes teams are on the ropes. Yep. And their season can go one way mm-hmm. or another. Absolutely. And I think that that was one of those critical junctures where yep. there's a fork in the road for the Eagles Absolutely. on Sunday when they head into Orchard Park, New York, yep. and they're playing the Buffalo Bills. Because if they lose that game, it very easily could have gone the other way. Downhill real quick. Now they win. Yep. Now they're spunking their Everyone's step. Everyone's feeling Now good. they're coming back home. Now they're playing a Chicago Bears team that's yep. struggling. Now right. the Eagles conceivably right. should be able to get rolling. Right. Three straight at home for the Eagles coming up. Bears, bye, and then Patriots and Seahawks in consecutive weeks. But by the way, as tough as those games are, yep. and they're very tough, they're at home. They're at home. Absolutely. They should win two of those three I would, games. I would agree. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. It's, it, it's going to be... They, I think they righted the ship yesterday. We'll see if the Bears can right the ship on Sunday. Evan, thanks very much for the first half review and the look ahead to week nine. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. And so there's the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. Special thanks to him. Special thanks to the former Browns quarterback, Bernie Kosar, who reminisced on what it was like to get his first 3-2-1. And so there's the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, thank you to him, and thank you to the former Browns quarterback, Bernie Kosar, as he remembered what it was like to help get the current Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick, his first ever NFL head coaching win back in Cleveland when the Browns, ironically enough, beat the Patriots in 1991 before Bill Belichick won his 300th game as an NFL head coach on Sunday as a head coach of the Patriots beating the same Browns team that he once was the head coach of. And special thanks to my friend, my colleague, my pal, Chris Mortensen, as we look back on the NFL trade deadline day and all the events that were and weren't. Special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we look back on week nine and look ahead to week 10. Have a great week, everybody.